morning and welcome to Wallet Street, the podcast version of the newsletter where we talk about money, crypto, tech, and anything else that sparks intellectual curiosity. As always, you can subscribe to the newsletter at walletstreet.squarespace.com, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, um, the disclaimer, opinions are my own and the content on the podcast does not constitute financial, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice. Okay, so now that the boring stuff's out of the way, I'm going to hop right into it. First of all, it's March. It's March 1st. I don't know how we got here. I feel like it's still uh, June of last year. But anyways, happy March, everyone. Um, So to start off, it's interesting. Last week, I wrote in my intro about how I thought regulation and big tech would continue to be a theme that um, emerges over the next you know, few years. Uh, it'll be an interesting thing to watch. And lo and behold, The Economist, it's like it read my mind and put out this fantastic article um, highlighting big tech and um, really the dominance that uh, some of these companies have in certain, in certain industries and how different industries um, are, uh, you know, what does the market share look like? So um, I highly recommend you to look at either the Economist article that's linked in the newsletter or to look at at, um, the newsletter because uh, it's hard to describe the charts exactly over audio, although I'll do my best. Um, One of the charts uh, highlights how the five big tech companies, um, what their revenue overlap between amongst them looks like. And you see from about five years ago, 20% of their revenues um, were overlapped with other companies. And now that's grown to about close to 40% today. So there's kind of a convergence, it looks like, at least from this chart of um, revenue uh, sources. Next is a breakout by industry across you know, various industries on who the market leader is, how much market share they have, and then kind of um, uh, the rest of the market and broken out by either secondary market leaders or, or other. Um, some really cool ones. I mean, some that surprised me was uh, they did a, a one about apps and who owns the app stores. Um, so Apple has continued dominance um, across the last five years for that. Uh, they showed streaming Netflix, um, kind of not surprising, had huge dominance about five years ago, and that's really steadily decreased um, to right now. It seems much more fragmented. Um, Payments is an interesting one. Um, It's always been quite fragmented, it seems, um, at least with uh, Visa being the market uh, incumbent that they show here. um, Didn't have, you know, huge, huge, huge market share relative to some of the other industries, but even so, you see the decline in, in and a little bit of erosion there um, as payments becomes more and more fragmented. Uh, food delivery, you see Grubhub had huge dominance um, there and uh, just totally fragmented now. So quite interesting. And then lastly, there's a chart of um, China's e-commerce industry and you just continue to see Alibaba about 50% market share there. Um, quite interesting how Alibaba has been able to, to really um, continue to um, maintain their position there. So anyways, encourage you to, to look at the charts. Super cool. Um, next up is another article by The Economist um, that, where they talk about so, the idea of social finance, um, which I thought was an interesting idea, kind of something we've touched on before with what happened with GameStop and um, 
around some of the, I think, momentum around crypto as well. Um, and they talk about the prof- the pressure of, um, you know, investing socially, that if your friends invest in something, you're much more likely to invest in it. Um, how that with the rise of social media, that that can create pressures to invest in certain things. Um, and the idea that we're moving beyond, beyond just behavioral finance, but now into social finance. So behavioral finance being more the study around why do people make certain decisions, um, even if they're irrational decisions. Um, uh, and now moving into a space of, you know, um, is finance going to be more determined on on social networks and and your social network? But the article ends with a great quote, which is basically kind of, in a way, um, I thought it counter to the entire article, basically saying that like finance has also been, has always been a social, um, uh, you know, environment and, and based on, on social networks. So it kind of contradicts what the rest of the article said, but I think it's a good point is like finance has always in a way been determined by your, your social, um, environment. So anyways, but it's still, it's still an interesting topic that I think brings up some good points. Um, lastly, in the kind of, uh, finance section, I, I did want to talk about Coinbase. Um, they filed their S1. Um, the S1, for those of you that don't know, is before you, um, go IPO or you, your company goes public, you must register with the SEC a document that's called the S1. It's literally S-1. Um, I forget what it stands for, but anyways, um, it basically is a document that overviews, um, your company, uh, your recent financials, um, and goes into a little bit of breakout of the business so that people can read more about the business before you go public. Um, so, I mean, it's funny, this Coinbase S1, I was interested to see it. I've, I've in my time as, as an investment banker in a previous life, um, had to work on some of these. And uh, I just felt really bad for whoever analysts were up late at night, probably iterating and iterating on on some of these documents. Although I think Coinbase actually um, is going public on their own, not using a bank. I'm, I'm not sure. I have to double check that. But uh, in any case, a um, couple of metrics that I think are really interesting. So one is they talk about verified users. Um, so from 2019 to 2020, uh, the number of verified users on Coinbase was up about 34% to 43 million in 2020, which is pretty amazing. But I think what's an even more interesting statistic is the um, monthly uh, uh, transaction users, MTU. Let me actually just make sure I'm um, uh, monthly transacting users. Yes. I just want to make sure I got that metric right. So, um, they define this as a retail user who is transacting one or more products um, during a certain period. So just active, more active users. This number actually went from 1 million in 2019 to 2.8 in 2020. So that's up 180% um, year over year, which is, I mean, that's pretty amazing um, growth. And I wonder, you know, just so much more than the actually number of verified users. So it's not just that they're getting more people on the platform. It's like that the people on the platform are just um, becoming more active um, or that the new people on the platform are just much more active than maybe prior ones. 
I'm not really sure which, but um, it just, I think, goes to show with what's been happening in, with crypto prices the last year, um, just much more activity around it. So I think that was a pretty eye-opening stat for me. And then also read a little bit more about their revenue, their net revenue. So they break out their their revenue um, as net revenue plus plus other revenue. Not really clear what goes into their net revenue. I didn't read it super closely. I'm, I'm not sure what it's net of. I assume it's maybe some kind of transaction fees, although I don't want to speculate, so not sure. Um, but basically that transaction revenue accounts for most of their revenue, it looks like. Um, and from that, they cite that Bitcoin and Ethereum are really the two biggest crypto assets that that are being traded. Um, and so, uh, you know, they say if um, one of you, you always have to list out in your S1 kind of risks, potential risks to the business. If Bitcoin and Ethereum, if other, you know, if people stop trading that and other crypto assets don't become um, more relevant, then that would be a risk to the business. Um, but their net revenue is is more than doubled in, in um, oh, from 2019, 2020. So also a pretty staggering statistic. Um, in any case, I thought that was interesting. Um, you can check it out. It's, it's posted on the SEC um, website. Moving on to science and tech, um, there were some cool pictures of Mount Etna that's uh, had a recent eruption in, um, in Sicily and Italy, um, which are cool. And then there's also a very cool graph of the evolution of different COVID strains from The Economist, um, again, showing the original um, COVID strain as we knew it at the start of pandemic and kind of how it's evolved over time, which is interesting. Um, lastly, the etc. section or kind of the more uh, fun and interesting pop culture section. I last night um, watched Nomadland. I didn't even know that it was going to win at the Golden Globes. Um, so, you know, uh, but I had heard buzz about it and uh, watched it. I really liked it. Highly encourage others to watch it as well. It's streaming on Hulu. A um, couple of reasons I really liked it. One is I just absolute fan of Frances McDormand. I think she's she's the lead in this and she's just like what a what an actress. I mean, um or an actor. She even though you know her and she's super famous, she's had really famous roles, she still manages to like totally lose herself in the role and you um kind of forget you're watching her and and instead you're really watching the character, which I think is is difficult when you become an actor that's like so well known, it becomes harder and harder to do that. And um, she just manages it so flawlessly. Um, so it's always great to watch her on screen. And then secondly, really the topic of the of the movie, I mean, there's so many threads to, to pull from. And I'm sure someone who's much smarter than me um, can, can probably find better themes to, to pull out of this. But for me, what resonated was I thought the documentary, or it's not a documentary, but the, the movie highlighted, you know, um, really topics for our times in terms of being in society versus being on your own, being alone. What does that mean versus being lonely versus being alone? Um, and also the effects of, of the economy and work, um, you know, how do um, changes in the economy affect affect workers? Um, I think it also highlighted, you know, the growing inequality that I've I've mentioned throughout um, some newsletters and some stats around that. Uh, you know, a lot of the people in the movie are 
kind of retirement age or close to retirement age, but really can't afford to retire. So they, they have to live out of an RV or out of a van and they kind of take these part-time jobs or temporary jobs to, to get through and travel around. And um, I mean, it, I think it's pretty bonkers, frankly, that there are people out there who have worked their whole lives and um, worked good jobs, worked really hard and, and can't afford to retire. I mean, what is, I think uh, that's um, something that we probably don't talk enough about. Um, anyways, great movie. Highly recommend. Um, five out of five stars. <laughs> uh, another Hulu movie I watched recently that I really liked was the Britney Spears documentary. Um, it was done by the New York Times, um, but it's on Hulu and it's just a fantastic um, outlook on what has happened to Britney Spears in terms of her conservatorship that she's under right now. And um, I think it's a really um, fascinating look at how the music industry can really be very tough on someone. I think it's also with perception of time, you know, how we treated some of our um, female celebrities or actually any celebrity, I shouldn't gender any celebrity um, a few years back relative to now. I mean, how tough we were, we are on them as a society. Um, it's a, it's a great documentary. I learned a lot. I didn't know, um, which was great. And then lastly, I really felt um, compelled to talk about this because I just loved these two books. I know they're a little bit older. Um, probably most of you have read them already, but uh, I recently read Eric Larson, um, his, one of his books, In the Garden of Beasts, which is the story of the American ambassador named Dodd, who gets appointed under Roosevelt to go to Germany in 1933, um, and how he spends uh, the next few years in Germany. He brings his family along with him. He has a very spirited daughter. Um, he brings his wife, his son, and they move to Berlin. And basically it um, is a story of how he, uh, I mean, really how he's watching the rise of Hitler and the Nazi party um, at the time. But, you know, this is kind of before the, the what I think is brilliant about the, the writer is he's able to, to um, paint to you the picture of how people didn't see what was going to come, come, um, you know, as the American ambassador there uh, learns more about local politics, what's happening in Germany, and he's trying to tell his compatriots back in the U.S., hey, like raising the sounding um, or sounding the alarm that this is something that we need to be focused on. We need to stop Hitler's rise, and no one's really paying attention, or he's getting brushed off, um, and all the like behind-the-scenes politics um, between. Uh, Department of State and the ambassadors and the, and the um, consulate general, but then also on the other side, you know, all the kind of, um, and I didn't really realize this, all the intricacies and politics within the Nazi party um, under Hitler and all kind of um, different people who were fighting for their own um, piece of power. And um, it's just a great, great book and written really well. It, it reads like a, a page turner. Anyways, enough about that one. The other one I read by the same author is Devil in the White City. Uh, also very famous. I think you've probably seen it on a ton of like top bestseller lists. You'll recognize the cover, but I finally got around to it and it is absolutely fantastic. I wish I'd read it earlier um, when I was living in Chicago because it's about Chicago's World Fair in 1893, basically about the lead up to the World's Fair. Again, all the 
intricacies and power dynamics that went into developing the World's Fair um, and the architects who really helped define that um, event. Uh, but at the same time, it so it's about the rise of this great American city, how it developed as an urban city. I mean, there's great stuff about just urban development. But on the other side, you also have um, the story of this very sinister and um, like serial killer guy who just able to get away with murder for so long, um, right smack in the middle of the city at the same time. And I don't think I'm giving it anything away there. Like you should still absolutely read the book. And um, I mean, you see these two things juxtaposed at the same exact time. It's quite fascinating. So anyways, um, I was a lot this week, but really good things. Hope you all are well. And as always, um, you can subscribe to the newsletter or find me back here next week. Um, happy week, everyone. Bye-bye.